But in the book of Nehemiah, we see that he had a very strategic plan on how to solve the problems of the walls of Jerusalem being torn down. And I want to propose to you as Christ followers today, we need to recognize greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We have the spirit of the living God within us. We have the Holy Spirit who is the creative force of the triune God. He spoke and it came into existence. Friends, you and I have the creativity of God Almighty living within us. There is no problem that we can't solve with the help of God and with the help of the resources that he has given us. We need to call upon him. We need to ask him, Holy Spirit, guide us, lead us, help us in this area. But if you're like me, too often I just yell for help when it's so obvious I just need to walk down the broken escalator or walk up the broken escalator. Nehemiah knew how to respond to a problem. Remember, this guy is a slave, okay? He's a cupbearer to the king. But the guy was so skilled in leading people. He was so skilled in how to respond to problems. Now, we know the problem of the wall, but chapter 5 deals with an internal problem of people complaining and bickering among themselves. So this was an internal problem that he had to solve. And it's found in Nehemiah 5. And again and again, Nehemiah, man, we see this guy respond to, to difficulties with decisive, creative, anointed effectiveness. And I think it's because he knew who he was. We see him as a slave but he hung out with the king. Now think about this for a moment. Nehemiah lived and he worked in close proximity to the king. He observed the king's reactions. He observed the king's responses to various circumstances. He learned through observation. Nehemiah, I believe, gained a lot of his skill on how to respond to problems because he kept a close eye on the king while he was serving him. Who's our king, church? Jesus is our king. We're here to serve him. But if you and I will stay so close to Jesus, if we will observe him through his word, through his work in our lives, we will become more skilled at Solving problems. He was effective, obviously, because he knew how to pray. That's one thing. I don't know if you uh, noticed that, but as we read through most of Nehemiah again and again and again, we read prayers. Nehemiah would say, God, use us. God, bless us. God, protect us. God grant us success. He was always in this posture of prayer that Paul tells us we need to be in. Praying without ceasing. An attitude of prayer. Nehemiah understood that life brings problems. None of us go through a week without a challenge, without a problem of some kind. 
But instead of panicking, let's realize the Holy Spirit of God is within us. If we stay close to King Jesus the way that he stayed close to his earthly king, we can respond and resolve problems by the power of Almighty God. That's my desire for myself, for all of us. And Nehemiah gives us this great example. It's a great example for us to follow. Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to read the entire chapter today, reading from the New International Version. Again, this problem did not have to do so much with the wall. It had to do with people. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous in order for us to eat and stay alive and we must get grain. And others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. And still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and through our children are as good as theirs, we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved and we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards, they belong to others. When I heard their outcry, Nehemiah said, verse 6, and these charges, I was very angry. The same way you and I are angry when we see the injustices in our own society. Verse 7, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you're charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles, and now you're selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they couldn't find, uh, they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what are you doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the money. Char uh, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them: one percent of the uh, grain or the money, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil. We'll give it back, they said, and we'll not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. And then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. And I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way may God shake out their house and possessions, anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people. They took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. And their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. 
Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall, and all my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. Every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. And in spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. That's the chapter we read just a week ago on Friday. I want to make some observations today about how we can learn how to resolve our problems by the life of Nehemiah. Now, before I do that, let me give you just a little background. Remember, Nehemiah was a Babylonian. He was a slave. He became this administrator of the project in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city. And he did it with permission from the king. He traveled about 800 miles to Jerusalem. And he developed a strategic plan for getting the job done. And then he recruits people. And then he has to deal with criticism, as every leader does. He has to deal with opposition. He even had death threats. And now... In chapter 5, another problem raises its ugly head. And it's, again, not an external problem. It's an internal problem. There's dissension in the group because some members are taking advantage of other members. And the problem occurs because many people were engaged in rebuilding the wall. So they had to temporarily forego their normal means of livelihood They left their paying jobs to help build the wall. So they were experiencing difficult financial hardships. And as always is the case, there's a few opportunists who want to make big money off of the financial vulnerabilities of their own countrymen. It's called greed. And we see it big time in the United States. And it was a bad situation, and it needed to be resolved. And this is what Nehemiah did. Number one, he gave himself some time to think it through. That's my first point. That's my first of five keys to solving problems, according to Nehemiah. Notice verse 6 and 7. It's a natural response to injustice to be angry. And we've seen a lot of anger this past year in our own culture. And anger isn't necessarily bad. But seeing people taken advantage of should not only infuriate us, it should also give us pause on what is the best way to handle this situation. See, it's not good to act too quickly on anger. Man, we see people in the big cities that are destroying government buildings and destroying neighborhoods because of this anger, because they're reacting out of this anger. And the anger might be legitimate, but the reaction isn't because they haven't done what Nehemiah did. Notice what it says. Verses 6 and 7. 
He gets angry. He understands this is the problem. But he says, I pondered it in my mind. I like the way the New American uh, Standard Version handles this text. It's translated, I consulted with myself. I like that. The New King James Version says, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles. He was not impulsive. He thought it through. How many times would you and I be miles ahead in our relationship if we had just slept on that email before we hit the send button? How many times have we regretted acting in our anger and our emotion? Nehemiah did not do that. He gave himself time to think. That's the first thing you and I need to do if we are facing a problem. Think it through. You can't solve a problem on a whim. You can't fix a situation on the strength of an emotional reaction. Hear me, many times your first impulse is not your best impulse. In fact, very seldom is it. It's okay to respond to injustice with righteous anger. But be careful because anger cannot be our only response. When you and I make decisions based on anger, we end up doing things that aren't good for us, aren't good for other people. Problem solving requires some thought. Second thing he did after he pondered it in his heart or consulted with himself, he addressed the problem head on. He didn't ignore it. Now, it's easy for us to put our head in the sand and say, oh, that's not a real problem. Those people shouldn't feel that way. And we try to ignore the problem away. It never works. You need to address your problems head on. Delaying a response to a problem doesn't mean that you avoid it. It means after you have time to think and to pray and to get counsel and have serious thought and to cool down a little bit, then you address the problem. Boy, I've learned a long time ago, if you ignore a problem long enough, it's going to resurface. It's not going to go away. It's like saying, well, I know the brakes on my car are going out, but maybe they'll just suddenly get better. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. You know, you find out you're overdrawn at the bank. Well, money's not just going to appear in your account. You know what I'm saying? Ignoring a problem is never a good strategy. Now, reacting with emotion isn't the best strategy, but you've got to address it. And in verse 9, we see that's exactly what Nehemiah did. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Man, he just hit the nail on the head there. This is what's happening, and it's wrong. He approached the nobles, those who were taking advantage of their fellow Jews. And you and I need to respond the same way. Man, if, if you have a business and you have employees who are cutting corners or or not putting in a full day's work or taking advantage of your corporation or your business, don't pretend not to notice. That's not helping them. 
If you've got volunteers in a ministry who are not walking in obedience and you're pretending not to know, you need to deal with that problem. Moms, if you have children who are speaking disrespectfully toward you and you're just pretending not to hear, you're not solving that problem. Those problems don't go away. You have to address them head on. The third thing, you don't just address the problem, you offer a workable solution. And that's my third key, offer a workable solution. You know, anybody, (laughs) anybody can tell you what's wrong with the situation. The people on the escalator in that commercial, help, help, rescue us. The escalator is broken. Well, duh. We're sure the escalator is broken. That's not why it's not ascending or descending or whatever. You know, you have to recognize the problem, but you have to offer a workable solution. Don't just say, this is wrong. You have to say, this is wrong, and here's an idea of how we can make it right. So identify the problem, but also offer a workable solution. Now, sometimes we offer solutions that really can't be implemented. You know, they're so simplistic that they're unrealistic. We all tend to do that when we're watching football. You know, we are all better quarterbacks than the guy in the field. We're all better defense coaches than the guy on the field. You know what I'm saying? Say, man, the defense needs to tackle. Yeah, you know. What's wrong with that quarterback? He needs to throw to an open receiver. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't do a whole lot of good because it's not a workable plan. We need to fix that problem. Well, we do, but how do we fix it? Don't just say words that won't yield results. Man, I believe those of us who follow Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit at our access, we need to dive deep and say, Lord, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me discernment? Would you show me through my daily Bible reading the principles I need for this problem? I had a problem this week, and it was a problem that was pretty serious to me because I had misplaced something that I really, really needed. I needed information that was going to help me minister to others, and I, it really was disconcerting to me. And I prayed, and the Lord gave me a solution. Actually, I believe gave me a spiritual gift in that moment of time. And the problem was solved, and I went home and I told my wife, and she said, man, that sounds to me like he gave you a word of knowledge. I said, well, maybe that's what it was. I don't know, but I just know I had a problem, and I've been studying for this message, and I thought, you know, the Holy Spirit is all-knowing, so he knows the best solution to our problem, and that's exactly really what Nehemiah understood. He said, what you're doing is wrong. And here's how you can make it right. Notice in verse number 11, he says, uh, no, verse number 10, stop charging interest. 
And then he says in verse 11, give back their land. And then he says in verse 11 as well, return the interest that has been paid. See, it's a workable solution. He didn't just say, make it right. He gave them workable solution. A problem that a lot of employees and many volunteers and a lot of children and spouses have is they really don't know what right looks like. We assume everyone knows what right looks like, but not everyone does. Don't assume by osmosis your children know what's right or wrong, or your volunteers know how to properly minister in whatever area. They know that someone in charge is unhappy with them. They might know that they're not measuring up to a particular standard. They might even know that they're making too many mistakes, but they don't know exactly what they need to do to make it right. Give them clarity. Tell them. Leaders, spouses, parents, grandparents, it's your job to help them understand what needs to be done, what right looks like in the eyes of God, through the lens of the word, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. The fourth key that I have found here in solving problems, according to Nehemiah chapter 5, is there has to be a call for commitment. Call for commitment. Let's read verse 12 again. We'll give it back, they said, and we'll not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. See, Nehemiah was saying, friends, we can solve this problem. We can solve it today, but it's going to take a commitment from all of us for doing it. And there's times that we need to challenge the people that we're working with or that we live with. Encourage them. Think it through. Pray about the options. But... There's got to be a time that there's a line drawn and people have to decide. As Joshua said, do what you want, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's that kind of moment. We will. A call for commitment. Not putting it off any longer. It's important, it's important in your homes. Dealing with your teenagers. It's important in a, any kind of an organization. There comes a time that a leader just has to say, well, we have processed this. We've prayed about it. Uh, today's the day we're going to choose. We're, we're going to decide. We're going to make progress in this area. I've told my staff for 30 years, <laughs> We want to make progress. We don't need it to be perfected. Because sometimes, man, you can try to perfect the plan and two years later, you're still trying to figure it out. Sometimes progress is better than perfection. Once you get going, you can always make little adjustments and you can make tweaks. But at least you're moving in a direction. So there's got to be a time of commitment. Are you ready to give your word? Are you ready to commit your life to Christ? Are you ready to yield to that ministry call that he has on your life? There could be people here, people watching that actually have call of their life to be pastors and missionaries, just like the Ericsons. 
Maybe you're here today. I want you to be open to what God is asking you to do. Man, there could be future college presidents, future missionaries here among us. It's not about age. We've seen that in the past where we've had middle-aged members of our church give up their job and their retirement and go serve the Lord in ministry. But there's got to come a time that we call for a commitment. And then the last thing I just want to mention as we wrap this up, you always have to lead by example. In the home, children are going to learn more from watching you than from being told what they need to do. We understand that. Nehemiah understood that. If you want others to do what's right, they need to see you do what's right. And verse 10 here is really interesting because Nehemiah says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. Interesting. Was he charging interest or was he not charging interest? I don't know. I, I wrestle with this verse. I looked at multiple common uh, uh, terries. Um, some say Nehemiah was loaning money without charging interest, as everybody, you know, should have been doing. Others speculate that no, maybe Nehemiah and his brothers were also involved in wrongful interest. And now Nehemiah is having a change of heart when he sees the difficulty that that placed upon people. But, you know, I came to the conclusion either way, whether he was charging interest or wasn't charging interest, he led by example. And he said, I'm ready to take the lead in this. Watch my example. Verses 14 to 18, Nehemiah says, look, if anyone could have gotten rich in this situation, if anyone could have been living a life of luxury, it's me. But then he outlines how he did not take advantage of opportunities that were afforded to him. He led by example. My mom told me, Jerry, and you probably have heard similar things, Jerry, you might be the only Bible anyone reads or your neighbor reads, your friends read. You might be the only Bible they ever read. And what she was saying to me is, Jerry, your example has got to reflect what the Word of God says. You lead by example. As your pastor, I can't tell you, hey, you need to read through the Bible this year. Or even give you a plan and say, okay, you need to read through the Bible, and here's a plan called the journey. No. First thing I do, well, after I make my cup of coffee, every morning... I read because I'm part of this journey as well. You know what I'm saying? I can't challenge you to, to pray more and spend more time in the Word if, if I don't do it. I mentioned to you when I was a, a youth pastor in Oregon, uh, a mentor that really meant a lot to me. Um, his name was C.K. Barnes. And he's the guy who said, Jerry, do not practice what you preach. You always need to preach what you're already practicing. There's a difference 
There's a difference. Don't practice what you preach, but preach what you practice. Nehemiah did that. He led the way. He set the example. Friends, parents can't expect their children to speak with respect when they hear disrespect from you, whether it's against a pastor or against a governor or against a a national leader. The things that you expect from others need to be visible in your life. If we say we're following Jesus, people need to see Jesus in us. If you're not an example to follow, you're going to have a really difficult time resolving problems in your life, in your home, in your relationships. We need to see more than the problem today. I don't know what you're facing, but I know we all face problems. And I just want to encourage you, let's allow the Holy Spirit that lives in us Let's allow God to help us see the solution. And let's learn. Let's not just read every morning. I'd encourage you, once you read in the morning, and usually there's only, you know, 20 verses or so, stop and then go back and look at it and say, what is the Lord trying to say to me? Don't just read it and check the the box. This is a a word that is living, it's alive. It will help you day by day. Identify the problems, develop solutions, motivate people to take actions. It's about making wrong things right. It's what God wants all of us to do. I hope that today something I've said Something that we have read through the scripture will help you because I know each and every one of you have difficult things that you're dealing with. But friends, you're not alone. God is with you. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as your counselor, your comforter, your guide, your teacher. And there's nothing that you are facing today that God will not help you to overcome. And in the meantime, you'll become more like him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can take time this morning to dig deeper into the reading out of Nehemiah chapter 5. And I pray, oh God, that each of us will have learned something from the life of Nehemiah that will help us in our home, on our job, in our HOA, in our classroom, in our orchard, with our neighbors, with our friends. Lord, we all have situations, Lord, that create challenges and tension. But God, I thank you that we are not alone, that you are with us. I pray that each one of us, Lord, will glean today from your word and will continue to glean from the power of the Holy Spirit that abides within us, that, Lord, we might be effective witnesses of yours, not just in our words, but in our actions and our abilities to respond correctly to the challenging situations that we face in our life, in our country, in our world today. In your name we pray, amen.